Welcome to Tipping Points, the podcast that reveals moments in people's lives that change everything. My name is Luke Edelston, and each week I interview fascinating people with extraordinary stories to find their tipping points. Terry Boyle McDougall is an executive and career coach and CEO of Terry B. McDougall Coaching. She helps high-achieving professionals remove obstacles that keep them stuck so they can enjoy more success and satisfaction in their lives and careers. Before coming a coach, Terry was a long-time corporate marketing executive where she led teams, developed strategies, and advised senior leaders to drive business results. She's the author of Winning the Game of Work, Career Happiness and Success on Your Own Terms. She's also the host of the Marketing Mambo podcast. Terry, welcome to the show. Luke, thanks for having me. I'm excited for our conversation today. Me too. And I thought I'd start with the book, actually, because um, you got it there right behind you so people can see it as well, if, if I put this up as a video at some point as well. So I'm going to ask maybe a really trite, silly question, which I, has a whole book to answer it, I'm sure. But what does it take to win the game of work? Oh, uh, well, you know, honestly, the, the title of the book is a little bit of a, a trick question because winning at work and at life is really about you getting clear on what it is that you want out of your life and out of work. And, you know, what I have seen way too many people do is to, to go to work, have big expectations about what they want to get out of work, but not really step back and understand what's going on around them. And so, you know, many people would maybe even feel a little bit angry if they, if somebody said, well, you know, work's just a game and they'd say, no, it's really serious. And, you know, my survival depends on it. And, and I get so much out of it, but often people are uh, working really, really hard and not getting the results that they want out of work. And the book is really a way to encourage people to step back and understand that you should approach work with uh, some clarity and with strategy if you want to move ahead. So that's why I called the the book "Winning the Game of Work." And you know, people can decide what it is that they want out of it, and hopefully use the tips that I provide in the book to shift their perspective and learn some new you know strategies for how they can get what they want out of uh, work. Mm. Yeah, sounds very interesting and. We were talking about designing your life earlier as well. And I suppose this, when you're talking about the objectives and what do you want from it, it's, so what do you want? How do, I mean, I know you coach people on this, so you probably got, you know, whole processes around this, but how do people start thinking about what they want? Let's just start with in the work arena, let's say. Well, very often when people first come to me and they're, you know, we're kind of exploring whether we'd be a good fit from a coaching standpoint they are motivated to contact me because of some pain or dissatisfaction that they're experiencing at work. Um, you know, maybe they got a, a performance review that they weren't happy with, or they um, know that, you know, they're uncomfortable with some aspect of work, or they've gotten feedback that they need to do something differently. And so a lot of times they are coming to me because they want to avoid that pain. But what I really try to help them do is flip it and say, okay, we're not going away from something. Let's get clear on what you want to go towards, right? What does the goal look like? So that's absolutely the first thing that has to happen for people to start to, you know, get the satisfaction that they want out of 
work and out of life, frankly, is getting clear on what the goal is. And then the second step, once you, I mean, and that sometimes can be very difficult, I will tell you, you know, a lot of times people are like, I, I've been doing this for a long time, whatever they do for their profession for a long time. And I'm not sure I want to keep doing it, but I don't know what I want to do. So like, if you want to get a new job and you don't know what it's going to, what you want to do, it's going to be really difficult to get it. You know, it would happen accidentally. And more often than not, when people are in that phase, they end up, you know, jumping out of the frying pan into the fire because they're running away from something that's uncomfortable and they take another job that might actually be worse. But anyway, so that's the first step. The second step is to start mapping out what it takes to get to the goal. So building that roadmap. And then a lot of times when we're building the road roadmap, we come across gaps, you know, like, oh, well, you're going to have to do X, but they may say, well, I don't really know how to do that or I don't feel comfortable with that. So when we identify skill gaps, we'll put that on our list of things that need to be worked on. Um, and then, you know, I, I give people the environment in which to feel safe, to, you know, kind of let their hair down and talk about things, you know, if they feel vulnerable. A lot of times people don't feel comfortable saying things out loud that are going on in their head. And for example, if, you know, someone's a, a supervisor, you know, maybe they don't want to talk to their boss about the fact that they don't feel they don't know how to do something and they don't feel comfortable with what they need to do in their job because they don't want their boss to lose faith. And at the same time, they can't talk to their subordinates about it. Maybe the other people in their lives can't relate or they've complained enough about work that, you know, their spouse or loved ones don't want to hear it anymore. So I, it gives them a safe place to to talk about these things. And a lot of times people get clarity through talking things out. I'd also, I also, in the environments area, help them to, okay, let's get those, what are those goals? What are those action steps? Let's be held accountable. You know, the actual execution of that plan. And then the last thing, but this is actually also the first thing that needs to be done um, is, is shifting that mindset from something that's sort of like, you know, self-preservation of like, oh, I'm never going to, you know, a lot of times when people are kind of negative, they're negative because they're trying to protect themselves from disappointment or embarrassment or whatever. And we've got to shift to a place where we start to believe that what we want is possible. And, you know, because if, if we're trying to do something and at the same time telling ourselves things like, this is never going to happen. Who do you think you are that, you know, you think you could get promoted, which you know, all of us would probably admit that sometimes we have inner dialogue like that. That's, that's self-sabotaging. And so, you know, if we can shift to a place that, you know, let's, you know, let's have the courage to, to believe that what we want is possible. And I have been amazed at times. And I've had some, I've had some really, really tough clients that have had some really traumatic things happen in their lives and careers. And they're very, you know, negative and fearful when they come into coaching and that, you know, they're afraid to hope that things could be better. And when they finally can like get into that place, like, okay, maybe I'm worthy of having good things. I have seen things happen miraculously, like, you know, having coffee with somebody and coming out of the coffee with a job offer or, you know, seeing a, a job and discovering that, 
they know somebody that works at the company and immediately getting introduced to the hiring manager and getting an interview within days and a job offer within a couple of weeks after that, you know, and it's, but those things never would have been possible had they not, you know, had that little hope that maybe I can have something better than what I have right now. Yeah. The mindset thing is such a big one. I think there's the skill gaps and also there's the blind spots that people have as well. Um, whether it's, I mean, obviously blind spots for yourself or potentially what people perceive of you. Also, like that can be positive and negative. It doesn't have to be negative. I think a lot of people would, mm-hmm. would associate it with being negative. I, I sort out some feedback a while ago, which was, you know, what do you people think I'm good at? My friends, my, you know, all this. And one of my friend's dads, who I've known like, when I was younger, and he... He came to my friend's wedding and everything, obviously, as you do as a father. <laughs> and, uh, he, you know, he messaged me saying, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he says, oh, yeah, uh, well, I think you're genuinely really funny, but you don't realize it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I never would have thought of myself as funny ever. Like, that's not something that was on my radar. Uh-huh. Um, so, it, you know, sometimes it's really useful just to seek out that positive feedback as well from people um, who you trust and, you know, you're not going to get ridiculed by and and then the other part, which I mean, I don't want to say that a coach is a t- cheerleader, but in some ways, you know, it can it can be in that way, a cheerleading thing. It's not like oh yeah, you can do it blindly. It's like oh, I'm here for you as well. It's that sort of support which you can get from you know a living relationship or your friends or or your coworkers, your peers, whatever. But sometimes it's really useful to have that sort of person that you potentially pay or is like a good mentor who can guide you through that process as well. Well, I would say that part of being a a coach sometimes can be a cheerleader, you know, definitely. And, um, you know, that, that one, uh, situation I was just talking about how the person saw the job, discovered she knew somebody at the company. And I mean, literally within, it was really the first job that she had any kind of traction, like she had been applying for jobs online, but hadn't gotten any calls for those. But with this one, when she did the direct outreach, and she literally like had the job offer in like three weeks from the minute that she saw, them, which is a miracle. But when she, she was, she was uh, in sales and she had, uh, she was always worried that she was going to get fired. Cause you know, if she had a bad month or something like that. And when she uh, put in her notice, her boss basically told her that she was the best salesperson that they had. And she was so, so disappointed that she was leaving. And, and, um, you know, I think that, I think that uh, often, well, I, I do really think my job is to hold up a mirror and allow people to see both the areas that they need to work on, but also the good things about them. Because when we can kind of relax into our strengths, that that helps us be more confident, right? It helps us weather the storms and be more resilient to remind ourselves like, hey, I'm really good at this. You know, just because I, I might stumble sometimes, it doesn't mean I'm bad. It doesn't mean I'm going to fail. It just means that, you know, I had a, you know, momentary setback. So, yeah, it's it, I when you were talking about that earlier with uh, your friend's father saying that you that you're funny. I, it reminds me of the saying that I stole from somebody. I can't remember where it came from now, but I use it all the time, which is we can't read the label from inside the bottle. Like we are just walking around being ourselves and we just think that things that are easy for us are easy for everybody. And so we discount them. 
Uh, we think that we're the only ones that have certain issues. Sometimes we can't see that we've got broccoli in our teeth, right? Because we can't see something that's very obvious to everybody else, whether it's good or bad, right? And so with that, you know, when, when we start to have more self-awareness, we can, we can start to recognize the things that we can either rely on that are strengths or, you know, be intentional about learning and growing and changing so that we can be more effective and, you know, deal with issues that might be holding us back. Yeah. The feedback thing is, is really important. And a lot of people who do good jobs or do their jobs well, don't get a lot of feedback because I guess a lot of people don't aren't trained in a way to be encouraging people with that praise. Instead, it's like they're doing a good job so I can worry about the fire somewhere else because inevitably in a big organization, there's fire somewhere mm-hmm. else. So if you're not a fire, you're, you're just left to carry on and do your thing. Yeah. Whereas these other things get all the attention. So if you're getting no attention in your job, that might be a good sign. Um, and yeah, it, it takes a good manager or a leader really to actually encourage people and praise people and thank people as they are doing a good job because it is, yeah, like that person you talked about, they left and they were like, you were our best salesperson. You're like, oh, didn't realize. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I really love the thing about the, you can't re- read the label from inside the bottle. It's, it's great. And uh, just going back to the initial part of your process as well. So you're obviously starting with the goal and people coming to you with pain. People, it's like going to a physio, isn't it? People don't go to a physio until they've got a problem, generally. You know, people... Right. <laughs> Be- That's right. Yeah. And, they, and they probably have had, you know, a habit that over time has caused the issue, but they just didn't realize it because it was working. So, you know, it, it could be that, you know, they're playing tennis or they're playing golf or something like that. And they have a, uh, they have a swing that actually it's going to hurt them over the long term, right? But they don't they don't know that because, you know, nobody's ever said to them like, okay, you're going to tear your rotator cuff if you keep doing that, right? But it's working. It's working in the short term, right? But long long term those habits can really uh they can hurt you if if uh, somebody doesn't step up and and help you to see them and change them. Very true, yeah. And uh, so what made you write the book in the first place? What was, uh, I know these things sort of grew up over years, oftentimes. Uh, was there something that kicked you into gear with the book? Uh, was, well, you know, when I, um, you know, I worked in my last corporate job, I worked at that company for 12 years. And for the majority of the time I was there, I was, I was really happy. I felt challenged, you know, happy with what I was doing. Um, but as sometimes happens in the corporate world, I was, uh, my boss wanted me to move into a role that I actually didn't want. And I tried to say no. And she was like, no, I really need you to move into this role. So I, um, I did. And I thought, okay, you know, I'll do my best. But there were a lot of issues with, you know, the way that the company was structured and lots of reasons why it was not a great it wasn't a role that I think anybody could be truly successful in. And so I was, I got to a point where I was sort of unhappy the last couple of years I was there and it got me thinking like, what do I want to do next? Because I don't think it's this anymore. And even when I looked around the company, I didn't see anything that looked interesting to me. So I actually decided to leave uh, and sort of detox a little bit from 
the uh, unhappiness that I had in the last couple of years there and, and take the time to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I started blogging and I started, you know, it's funny because sometimes I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have these like thoughts about you know, different things that happened or lessons that I learned. And, and in the beginning, sometimes I just grab my phone and I'd lay in bed and like write a blog on my phone, but I blogged pretty regularly for two years. And somewhere along the line, somebody said, how you've been blogging for a long time. How many words do you have? And when I downloaded all my blogs, I had about 25,000 words. And then, um, around the same time, a friend of mine told me that she was in a book writing program. And so I kind of put two and two together in terms of like, okay, I've got really a big chunk of content that I could massage into a book and then here's how I can do it. So I actually ended up joining that same book writing program that my friend was in. And uh, I ended up uh, adding about another 50,000 words <laughs> to the book. But uh, that was that was what um, how it happened. And I guess my motivation was the same as it was when I was blogging, which was, and, and honestly, what my uh, motivation is for being a coach, which is, you know, I learned a lot of lessons the hard way in, in my career. And I often was really frustrated because I felt like my efforts should be getting me further. <laughs> I felt like I was working really hard and not getting as much out of my effort as uh, and, and, you know, often felt sort of like confused as to what do I do differently to get the outcomes that I want. And so as I learned how to navigate, I really wanted to share that. And I, I did do that as a manager. I really was always coaching and mentoring my um, staff to be able to be more effective. And we worked with a lot of, uh, I worked in marketing and we worked with a lot of high powered people within the organization. And you know, I always say those guys never pulled their punches, right? So you really had to learn how to be strategic and how, and how to influence them. Um, but these aren't things that anybody ever teaches you. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times you get you get floored a couple times before you start to learn how to bob and weave a little bit. Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you mentioned sort of uh, rules of the game. I think that's part of your sort of t potentially the part of the tagline for winning the game of work as well. Um, that it, Yeah. <laughs> Big organizations certainly have politics, and I work for a big one at the moment as well. Uh, and it is, can be really difficult to understand how to influence the right people. I mean, it's not all about getting what you want, but also what you think is right for maybe your team or part of the business or whatever it is. Um, and I want to go back as well to being a coach. So what do you think makes a good coach? What are the qualities that well, even makes you a good coach or, or anybody really a good coach? Well, I think the most important thing um, about being a good coach is being a good listener. And it's, I mean, not to be too cliched, but a lot of times um, in coaching, people will talk about, you know, holding space for their client, which means like, I don't, I don't know what somebody's issue is. You know, I have to come in there and we have to together create a space in which you know, they can, they can maybe realize themselves what the issue is. And I have to listen and, and ask questions and draw it out because, you know, very often, you know, we can, we can make judgments about ourselves. We can tell our thing, ourselves things that aren't true. A lot of times when we have, um, we're doing things that aren't working, 
we're not doing that because we want to be in pain. We're doing that because we have a belief deep down inside that we think we're doing the right thing. But we have to be able to identify that. And in order to do that, people have to feel safe. You know, they have to feel like their coaches is, is listening, is seeing them, is is holding that mirror up to them so that they can see themselves. And and so I think one of the other things that's really important is being non-judgmental, you know, not coming in and saying, I've got all the answers for you. You know, I had, I, as you mentioned in my the intro. I worked in the corporate world for 30 years, so I've seen a lot of things. I've experienced a lot of things firsthand personally, and you know, I've seen a lot of the patterns and crazy things that can go on in the, the um, business world. And so I often can recognize patterns, but I don't know if that's exactly what's going on. I can help people to sort of like pull back and, and start asking different questions or even question their own assumptions about things. because. You know, for example, you know, somebody might be getting some feedback from their boss and they tell themselves like, oh, my boss hates me. And, you know, that's if if one of my clients said that, I would definitely say, you know, what evidence do you have that your boss hates you? Right. Because that's that kind of belief is going to cause a certain type of behavior that's probably not going to be very productive, you know, and if. There might be other reasons. It might be like, oh, you really did not do something that you were supposed to do. You have control over that, you know, or it could be that your boss is under a lot of pressure and the way they're acting actually has nothing to do with you. But, you know, if you can step back and start wondering about what other people's motivations are, you have options uh, in terms of how you show up, you know, and and when we start to kind of experiment a little bit with like, hey, I've done this certain action every time I've faced this certain, you know, situation and I'm not getting the, I'm not getting the outcomes that I want. Well, maybe it's time to step back and say, well, what could I do differently? And so that's, I mean, I I suppose that that's several things (laughs) that I think makes, makes for a good coach, but definitely starts with, with listening, with, you know, being empathetic to the person's situation, not being judgmental. And I think, this goes back to something that I said about my own process, you know, really believing that they can achieve their goal because a lot of times they don't believe it in the beginning. And so, you know, going back to that holding the space, if I can hold the space that, you know, I, I think that the thing you want is possible, that people can start to have enough courage to sort of come out of that self-protective cave that they put themselves in and see that, oh, it's a big world out here. Maybe there are possibilities of what could happen in my life and my career. Yeah, definitely. A couple of things that resonated with me were non-judgmental. That is probably one of the most difficult things to do, especially, I'd say, particularly with your close people that you're close to. And this is why it's difficult to have uh, coaching style conversations with your spouse or something. You know, it, they've they've heard it all they've you know so they're, they're probably going to judge and go well, i've seen you do this before they've got all the previous history the previous stories they go oh you always do it like this why don't you just do it like that and you're just like oh come on you know you don't understand mm-hmm. but a coach is is meant to be there to sort of be not non-judgmental as well and um i think that's actually a similar thing with therapy as well the people that are in it are, are, you know designed uh and trained to not be judgmental I do a bit of volunteering and in part of that is it's it's also 
so with coaching, you can sort of go two ways. You can sort of be like a pure uh, purist coach, which doesn't give any of your own opinions and stuff, which uh, is a sort of neuro-linguistic programming viewpoint, like clean language, all this stuff. That's that's one viewpoint. And mm-hmm. that has obvious value as well, because then you're not putting yourself into them. Like It's, it's all coming from themselves. And mm-hmm. when change comes from within, it can often be a, a lot more powerful than if someone says, oh, you know, I think you should buy that house or something. It's like... If you've decided mm-hmm. yourself to do that, then it is much more useful. But at the same time, you know, sometimes you just got to tell people, you know, again, back to the blind spots as well. So it's a, it's a practice and it's funny, isn't it? I, th- I think when you're in the, the position of being the coach or the mentor, it's actually, it can be kind of easy or easier to be non-judgmental. But when it's with the people you're closest to, uh, it's really difficult. <laughs> it's, you know, I think it, it is difficult sometimes. The trick is not to, to show your judgment. I mean, and I, I really try to truly not be judgmental, but sometimes people will, you know, they'll make a decision that I, I sort of question how effective it's going to be, you know, but I have been proven wrong many times, you know, where I, I, you know, I don't jump in and say, Oh, that's a terrible, I'll say, okay, well, that's great. You know, if you've decided to do that, what's your next step? What are you going to do? And I, you know, I'll kind of sit in the sidelines and be curious about like, Oh, I wonder when they tell me when we meet next time, how that worked out, how that's going to have worked out. Because sometimes I might think, you know, I'm not sure if that's going to work out. I'm not sure if their boss is going to go for that or whatever. And then they'll come back and be like, yeah, I made that recommendation to my boss and they were like totally on board with it. And it, it's good for me too to say like, see Terry, you know, like you don't know everything, <laughs> right? And I don't, I don't, um, you know, to, to your point about the, you know, pure coaching versus, um, you know, maybe what I would consider like coaching and mentoring. I do do some mentoring in, in the coaching that I do, but I don't lead with that. You know, typically it's more along the lines of somebody trying to decipher what's going on around them, or it could be that maybe their company's going through a merger or they're working with a, a difficult employee and they will, you know, come out and say, I've tried, you know, X, Y, and Z. Do you know of other things that uh, I could try, you know, and I'll carefully provide things that I've seen that have worked. Right. But I certainly don't lead with that because I, to your point, you know, as a coach, when you're trying to encourage someone to, you know, step into their own abilities and to build their own confidence, you don't want them to become dependent on you in terms of, you know, oh, well, Terry has 30 years of experience. She'll know exactly the right thing to do. And it's like, I don't work in their company. I'm not them. So what might have worked for me is not going to work for them. But if they've tried a number of things and they need a few more ideas, I'm happy to provide that, you know, because I do think that sometimes the blinders are there and they're, they might, you know, over the course of five sessions, finally arrive at an idea that they could try that I could give them in five minutes if they're asking for it. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a balance. And I, I think that, some people do enjoy working with me because I have worked for a long time and I've seen a lot of crazy things. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think, you know, cause sometimes too, people will, they think that every other place is like sane and that 
you know, maybe the craziness that or the discomfort that they're feeling at their company, they start to worry that it's just them and that, you know, if they were better, that they wouldn't be experiencing this. And so to be able to say, no, like, you know, your feelings of insecurity or your, you know, fear or whatever, that's normal. Mm. And in fact, you know, for a lot of high achieving people, that's common, you know, and I think that can make people feel a little better, bit better too, that like, oh, okay, I'm just normal. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, we've talked about next steps and actions and things like that. And I can see that talking with a coach frequently is a good way of having some momentum and accountability. Um, it, I think when it comes to maybe starting your own business or whatever that is, it there's obviously that there's got to be some sort of driving goal, purpose, all that kind of stuff. But then there's the keeping up the momentum. And that's something I think a lot of people would struggle with. Is uh, Do you have any tips on how people can sort of maintain their motivation and momentum, maybe if they don't have a coach? Well, I think that one of the things that um, people can do, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, um, is rely on people around you to hold you accountable. You know, you, you were talking about, um, I don't know if this was before or after you hit record, but that you wanted to you swear off coffee for a month mm. and that you, you paid one of your friends to make sure that you, you know, held to your goal. And so we can ask people around us to be accountability partners. Um, and I, I've done that, you know, when I started my coaching business, I, I joined a mastermind of other coaches and we would meet every two weeks for an hour and we would share our goals. We would share our accomplishments. We would share things that, you know, areas where we got tripped up. You know, we actually also for a while had a coaching circle where each of us had a coach. We didn't, we didn't go, you know, both ways, but like I would coach somebody and they would coach the next person and the next person would coach me, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, we could practice our skills, but also just have somebody that, could provide us that, you know, bigger perspective. But, you know, I think that uh, in general, everything that I talked about in terms of like getting clear on the goal, uh, coming up with the roadmap, identifying those skill gaps, you can do that for yourself. What's important though, is to write it down, you know, maybe tell somebody about it. So engage somebody as an accountability partner and keep at it, you know, try to try to build it into your life so that, you know, you have uh, routines, you know, so it might be like, you're going to get up and first thing in the morning, you're going to drink water to hydrate, or you're going to get up and go for a 30 minute walk or commit to reading a business book once a month, you know, but if you if you write this down, and then and you, you know, kind of have a checklist and go back periodically and see what you've accomplished. I think that things that get rewarded, you continue. Mm. And you can reward yourself. Yeah, you, know, you definitely yeah. need to. You don't carry on doing stuff if you yeah. don't get rewarded. Uh, I think I've talked about this before, actually, on one of the previous podcasts. But in the book, um, Tiny Habits by James Clear, there's like a four-step process and um, for maintaining and building habits. And one of the steps is celebration. Uh, because that's how your nervous system knows that this is something good to mm -hmm. do. Um, and the silly example, I've, I can't remember if I've used this before, but, you know, brushing your teeth. So there's a cue in the morning of, like, your mouth feeling a bit, you know. And, and so that then 
makes you do the thing of brushing your teeth and then the reward is that feeling of feeling you know, fresh and people going oh nice breath you know whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's that cycle i probably missed a step there but you know that's part of it and uh, i wanted to draw the distinction as well between biz- being in kind of a strategic mode versus a doing mode and sometimes you have to be planning strategically and looking at the bigger picture and and also setting out tasks which are smaller picture as well obviously uh, so you go mm-hmm. from big picture chunking down and then be okay with and start off the day with the tasks that you need to do so there's like that then you go into mm-hmm. the, the doing mode so if you're always every day thinking what shall i do it's quite draining and if you don't have a bigger roadmap about where you're going then you don't know when you need to do things mm-hmm. as well and equally it's quite easy to get then get distracted on loads of other random stuff that you know you don't need to be doing uh, for example, with me, you know, if I'm updating my website for the podcast, then, you know, you see, oh, I could be adding all these different logos so people can go and click on it. And I'm like, hang on. No, today I was going to be preparing the notes for the interview. I'm going to make sure I have a good interview. That's more mm-hmm. important than setting up the website. Or equally, uh, if you've got the luxury of doing stuff like this, you know, delegate as well. And and because you don't need to do all of the admin stuff. Like you mentioned yourself, you're getting a, a virtual assistant because you realize, I guess, the value of the time and the effort that you're spending on tasks that are not your core competence, I would say, uh, uh, or maybe not something that you are your, maybe you can fill in the blanks there, but you, you know what I mean, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that building, you know, structure to support yourself is important. And it's, you know, it's the habits, but it's also tools. Like, you know, if you have priorities, use your calendar to make sure that you block out time, you know, for, for the things that are important. There's, there's this other concept that I think is really important to recognize too. And I, I just recently was introduced to it, but I love it. And it's the, the whole, de- uh, the whole idea is around the five gears and it, and if you think about like driving a car, right, you start the, the car in first gear and then you just kind of like move up from there but you know first first gear is really about caring for yourself right so like are you getting enough sleep are you eating regularly are you you know taking the time to recharge your batteries second gear is connecting you know deeply with people that are important to you so it could be your family your significant other friends etc but like going deep um the third gear is like being social right it's like going down to the pub and like hanging out with people and you know having those more uh, sort sort of surface level, but connecting on a on a surface level connection with people. And then fourth gear, unfortunately, this is like probably where I spend most of my time, and um, is just working on tasks. Right? It's just uh, you know, like you were saying before, like oh, I want to get the website done, and you know, just being busy, busy, busy. Right? But not necessarily sometimes working on the right things. And then fifth gear is to what you were saying is being strategic, focusing on things that are, you know, important, and you're, you might need to close your door and block off a couple hours to really go deep on something, really being cognizant of like, where am I and where do I need to be? You know, sometimes people will do things like they go to, you know, maybe they're going down to the pub, and they're, you know, still on a phone call, or they're, they're coming home for dinner, and they're, they're like, uh, preoccupied with something. So they're not present in the moment. And, you know, we're robbing ourselves when we're not 
we're not intentionally shifting gears to the right gear for whatever it is that we're facing. There is one more uh, gear too, and it's reverse, <laughs> um, which is when we've messed up, when we've offended somebody, when we've made a mistake, it's, it's for us to step back and to repair that situation, do the thing that needs to be done so that, you know, you can, you know, that you're literally not just like running over somebody and being like, oh, well, too bad um, that we're going back and saying, you know what, I'm so sorry that I, you know, said that to you, or I did that. And I, you know, I was wrong. Uh, because, you know, we, we need to have those like nice, trusting connections with people to be effective and, and happy in our lives. And if we're not recognizing the places where we need to repair things, and then we're just gonna, we're gonna have a lot of speed bumps. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the metaphor continues. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And um, being intentional about moving from one to the other, I think that's particularly important. And then there's also the thing about connections. And so I was listening to a podcast. Um, I think it's a fairly niche thing, actually, but it's a meta group podcast with uh, I think it's George Harrison and I might have got the name wrong there actually but so he's talking about connection and attachment and things and apparently I think there's research which shows it's good to have you know this uh, let's say A is your top level of connection group in you want to have a few maybe well, maybe one to four people that you can just tell everyone uh, tell everything and that those are super important to have in your life and you definitely don't want to neglect those and you do want to have a, a few probably uh so it's i think it's something like one to four and then there's that group below so it's like your b's and c's who are a bit more you know it's a bit more the whole thing at the pub you know it's your work colleagues and stuff that you're not really close to it's it's the acquaintances you see every now and then um but it's equally important to have some of those as well and, and that group will be much larger obviously if, you know imagine your facebook friends i mean there's, there's tons of them right and I suppose mm -hmm. the outer rims of the Facebook friends are then like your D's, the people you basically never see or talk to, but they're kind of there anyway. And and what's quite important about thinking about these layers of uh, connections is to make sure you've got enough of the A's or that those those A's are actually close and uh, feel trusting and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's an interesting sort of model on that. And I think the, the levels four and five or the gears four and five, so it's activity and effectively big picture as well I was seeing it as uh you've because uh, I think everyone's got a tendency like you said you're in number four so the gear four so that's the doing of things uh, I would say I'm quite often in that as well but can go to five uh, uh, just like you can and have done of course um and I can think of people that are really great at the the connecting with others and the social part but they're way less good at the different ones. So I guess that also shows the importance of having mm -hmm. people around you that are good at those things. So if you want to be better uh, at connecting to people, which is something I, I want to be better at as well, you know, be around somebody who's great at that. So my housemate at the moment, he's uh, just such a good people person. He'll 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 basically like walk actively walk after people that I wouldn't think of walking after just to say, hey, how's it going? They'll get into the longest conversations and, and talk about all sorts of stuff. I'm like. Wow, you see, he's like really paying attention, looking at them, uh, just giving them that attention that makes you feel great. And if you're around people like that, then obviously it rubs off as well. So definitely important to have. So I, <laughs> speaking of shifting gears, I want to shift the gears a bit as well. 
<laughs> All right. Um, so let's go back in time a bit. So you're obviously a coach now and everything. You worked in the corporate world for quite a long time. Uh, so there's been a few phases in, in that, I think. And, um, and so I just want to get to those because uh, I think it's useful for people to learn from people's you know, moments of their lives where things have changed and everything, hence the name of the podcast. Um, so would you be able to tell me a bit about your first job and what happened as you started to get more dissatisfied and everything there? Uh, my first job, yeah, I think that maybe there are a couple tipping points and that I can talk about my very first job. My very first job, I worked for a publishing company and I was the, I was sort of the administrative assistant in the advertising sales department and the sales manager, uh, he was, you know, I, I really liked him a lot. He liked me um, after I worked there for about a year or so, he promised me uh, that he was going to promote me to be the marketing coordinator. <laughs> and it's so funny to think about, you know, because they're such junior level roles, but I was getting out of the administrative pool and getting into marketing, which is what I wanted to do. And I was excited. And he said, you know, we've got to go to this big uh, conference that we were putting on. But he said, when we get back from the conference, you know, I'll talk to you about what the transition is going to look like. So, you know, we went to the conference and came back and I was so excited and an anticipating this, you know, my first promotion in the, in the business world. And unfortunately, our company had a new president and some of the things that my boss was used to doing in terms of um, actually not, not respecting some of the deadlines for, you know, if, if he could sell another page of advertising in our magazine, he would do it. And then he'd go and kind of bully the production department to make sure that the ad got in that magazine, that uh, issue. And the new president did not like that. And so he and my boss had it out. And guess what? The president won. <laughs> my boss ended up um, getting fired. And I, um, I was so upset that day I had to go home because it it's very funny for me to think about now after so many decades of working in the corporate world and how that kind of stuff happens you know, relatively frequently, but I, it was my first uh, exposure to it. You know, I still was anticipating that I was going to get my promotion. And it took, it took probably a couple months for them to hire the new sales manager. And when he came on board, I was fully expecting that, okay, well, he's going to, he's going to fulfill on this promise that Dennis made to me. And, uh, and he interviewed me for the role. And then he ended up hiring somebody from outside the company. And I was devastated because I really felt like I paid my dues. I knew, I knew the, the organization inside and out. I felt like I was really, you know, well prepared for that job. But um, he didn't see it that way clearly. And you know, I look back now, and I, I wrote about this in the book, and I realize now that for the new guy to come on board and to follow the playbook from his predecessor who got fired doesn't even make sense, right? Because he doesn't want to do the same thing that the, you know, his, his predecessor did. So I actually, I actually just ended up quitting that job. And uh, I, I went out and got two part-time jobs. I was doing telephone polling at night and I was waiting on tables during the day. I lived in Boston, Massachusetts at the time, and I saved up my money and uh, moved to Washington, DC, where all of my or most of my friends from college lived and you know I actually ended up getting a job there with another publishing company and and sort of picked up where I left off in terms of being able to move on with my career but that was a big disappointment 
you know, and it was something that I had to stop and say, well, what do I want to do here? Because it's not going in the direction I wanted to go. So what, what made you like putting your notice then? What was the catalyst for that? I, I would say pride mm. <laughs> because I looked at myself as someone who was very capable. I'm a hard worker, um, but I, all think, I also think that I'm, um, I'm pretty smart and I was definitely, and I still am, ambitious. And I kind of felt like the contract, you know, even though there's no written contract, but sort of like the, the moral contract had been broken. I came in, I paid my dues, I did a very good job. I was smart and educated and there was no reason for me not to be rewarded within that organization. And when I recognized that this person who came, who replaced my, uh, you know, the person who hired me, he wasn't looking at me that way. And in fact, you know, I wrote in the book that I think that he just looked at me like somebody who was already there. I was sort of like a piece of office furniture. He didn't have any investment in me personally. And if I, you know, if I didn't have his advocacy, if I was going to have to start all over proving myself to him, I didn't want, that was not the pace at which I wanted to move up. You know, I already put in a year, you know, I, I just didn't think that he was going to be helping me in the direction that I was going in. And so, you know, it, I felt like it was, I felt like I wasn't going to respect myself if I stayed there in the face of somebody who didn't believe in me. And so I just said, okay, I, you know, and it's funny cause I took these, you know, two like jobs that probably just about anybody could get. You didn't need to be educated to have those jobs, but you know, I was willing to do that in the short term to, you know, fulfill on my dream of being able to get in a situation where I could move up. And I was able to do that. You know, I'm, I'm proud of myself for believing believing in myself and not allowing somebody else's estimation of me be the way that I looked at myself. Mm, yeah. I think there's a tendency for people to stay in jobs too long, especially after disappointments like that. I think I've been in the same camp as you. I mean, it sounds like you fairly quickly went, no, this is bullshit. Uh, <laughs> I'm moving on. Uh, I, this isn't fair. You know, I, I've had that before. I think a lot of people probably aren't quite, quite as self-righteous as I was when I did that. Um, and, you know, I'm glad I did as well. You know, it was a good move and I learned from the next move as well. And um, so I want to fast forward a bit as well now. So you were, if my notes were correct, you were in Boston at some point as well. I don't know if I'm skipping time here as well. And uh, you were in a relationship there and obviously would have had a job as well. Uh, and uh, Boston, and as I was talking to you about this before, a bit like Bojack Horseman. And uh, from what I understand of that TV program, uh, it's quite cold in Boston. <laughs> and it's probably not the ideal place that you wanted to be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, um, I went to college in Virginia, which is like mid-Atlantic. Um, and I, I grew up in um, Delaware. And it's also sort of like right around that area. It's just a little bit east of Virginia. But um you know, that Boston is in New England, and it's quite a bit further north. And I actually, my boyfriend in college, I met him in, in Virginia, he was from Massachusetts, where Boston is. And when I graduated from college, he said, why don't you come to, to Boston and, you know, for a visit. And 
I uh, decided just to look for a job while I was there. And so that's how I got that first job. But I didn't, you know, besides uh, he and I dating, I didn't really have anything holding me there. And the winters were brutal for somebody who never grew up with that. And I didn't have a car. So I had to be outside every day, like trudging through the snow to the bus stop to go to, I'd actually go to the uh, Harvard Square subway station and then take the subway into downtown Boston. So it was, it was hard to be out in that cold weather every day, um, commuting and all of that. So, you know, one of the benefits of moving back to Washington, DC, which is, it's actually, it's funny, like they, they actually, I don't know how your listeners might not understand this or be aware of this, but Washington, D.C. is is the capital city, and it's carved out of part of Maryland and part of Virginia. So it's sort of like this little, it's almost like the Vatican, right? Like, it's just like this own little city that isn't part of any state. But like, in fact, it, they, they took part of two states, two small parts of two states to build the city. So I moved back to, mm. you know, Virginia, uh, but it's right next to Washington, D.C., and it's much warmer. Which so. <laughs> and you had an interesting sort of experience uh, meeting your now husband as well, didn't you? Because I think you started to realize uh, that you weren't happy. Can you tell us more about what happened around there? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, going back to the college boyfriend, I met him when I was 20 and we dated until I was about 27. And I really thought that he and I would uh, get married. But we we were on again off again for for years and you know sometimes we're in the same city you know we were both in boston then we were both in dc and then he moved back to boston so there was a lot of like stuff going on um but uh i i met someone at a party um who who had an interest in me but i was dating the the college boyfriend at the time and uh i didn't you know, I didn't really kind of reciprocate. I was aware that he liked me, but I didn't really reciprocate. But one of his friends uh, started dating my roommate. And so that kind of got us into this friend group of like where we would, you know, go to the same parties or we would, you know, go out to clubs or whatever together. And just the more that I got to know Scott, who's the guy that I met at the party, the more I, I just started liking him. I just enjoyed being with him. And it kind of woke me up to realizing that over the course of the six and a half years that I've been dating Jeff, who was the college boyfriend, that I think I just started kind of accepting more and more things that were not ideal. You know, just, you know, sometimes you just put up with things that, you know, for the good of the relationship and, you know, as when I compared how I felt when I was hanging around Scott, even though we were just, you know, kind of friends with how I felt when I was with Jeff, I was like, I'm having so much more fun now. Oh, this is what life can be. <laughs> and so I ended up, I was supposed to go away for a weekend with Jeff. You know, he was in a different city, but we were going to go away together. And just as the time approached, I just, it sort of bubbled up inside of me that that wasn't what I wanted. You know, I just didn't, I really wanted to enjoy the ease and the fun that I was having when I was hanging around Scott and, and he, you know, his interest in me, he was respectful in terms of us being friends and knowing that I was dating somebody else, but he, 
definitely made it known that he was interested in me. Like he wasn't like shying away. He, he wasn't coming on strong, but he also wasn't, he was just there, right? He was just like, oh, I'll be your friend if that's all I can have. <laughs> but I ended up breaking up with Jeff and I uh, started dating Scott and uh, we have been married for 26 years now. <laughs> so, so it worked out. It was, it was a good move on my part to, you know, wake up and realize that you know, just because something looks good on paper and just because you've been doing it for a long time, it doesn't mean that you have to keep doing it. And if something better comes along, go for it, <laughs> which <laughs> uh, I, I feel like six and a half years was enough time for me to, you know, put into something and you don't, you don't have to keep going with it if it's not making you happy. Yeah, it could take a while to realize as well, like when you're in deep like that as well. See, these these things can seem sort of funny and uh, trite on the surface and maybe also a quick decision. Uh, and I guess you were looking into yourself and thinking, well, f- how you were feeling, as you said, like between when you were with, with Scott, you know, you were feeling really great. Um, and then you're comparing that and you're going, huh, okay. But I'm guessing that the process of that and the time that, yeah. that was over was uh, like quite a lot bigger and there's a lot more going on in your head as well, right? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, when I look back on it, what I realized, you know, during those, the six and a half years that I was with Jeff was that you probably heard about the, you know, the frog that, you know, starts out in the lukewarm water. And then by degrees, the, you know, the water temperature goes up and up and up and the frogs in the water and they boil to death because they don't realize that it's so incremental that you just don't realize that, oh, it's getting really hot in here. And, you know, when I kind of removed myself from the situation, I realized that that had been happening, you know, that in the beginning, I was very happy, and I was very in love. But just over time, there were very incremental compromises and so forth that, you know, I where I just felt like it wasn't working for me as much. And, and the funny, the funny thing about, you know, when you were talking about like, it can seem like it's a very quick decision. But I, I had a roommate, during that time and she was a teacher and it was summertime and she had to go to some like summer educational conference or something like that. And usually she and I would hang out on the weekends, you know, we'd go out or whatever. And because she wasn't around, I had all this time on my hands on. And I remember just sitting in my living room, like motionless, just thinking, like, I think that there was something inside of me that had to rise up from my subconscious to my consciousness. And it was scary also, because to think about like, finally cutting, like, finally cutting ties with somebody that I still care. I actually, you know, have been in touch with, with Jeff, you know, somebody that I still care about, right? He's a, he's a very nice person, but just wasn't the right fit for me. And I had to come to that realization. I had to come to the realization that, you know, maybe I need to let go of this thing that I thought was going to be my future so that I can change directions and go forward with somebody that, you know, there's more optimism and you know, maybe it's just, it was just easier, quite frankly. I, I think that I didn't realize that things don't have to be that hard, you know, and just mm-hmm. to, to be with somebody that you just kind of jive with easily is, is better. You know, you shouldn't have to work so hard for happiness. Oh yeah, for sure. And a couple of things to pick up on that you mentioned. So the, the kind of sitting there quietly, you, you said you were let down. 
I think uh, I'm quite guilty of this, particularly if people are, whether intentionally or through thought, are being bombarded with everything else in their life. You know, there's work, there's the family, there's kids, there's social media, there's the news, there's everything and everyone like coming at you. And it's, for me, I'm the sort of person who will listen to podcasts when I'm in the bath and things like that quite often because I like to, well, to be learning. Um, but also I struggle to be alone with my own thoughts a lot of the time because, you know, that can be difficult. But sometimes you sort of have to give yourself those quiet times. And maybe it's not just when you're meditating, you know, 10 minutes a day, because then you're focusing on something else, potentially, like your breath. Mm-hmm. Give yourself... You know, go on a walk and don't bring music or podcast with you. That's just talking to myself there. You know, that is something that I do now is I intentionally have quiet um, to to then process things. And it's not always easy. And like you say, there's an element of allowing things to come up from the subconscious to your conscious mind because there's tons going on that you don't know about. And uh, the dreams you have sometimes are a sort of a fairly interesting way of seeing that. Uh, It's funny how those can shift your perspective as well. And then the other thing I wanted to just highlight as well was about the story. You said you had a, you didn't use the word story, but you had a future that you were holding on to and you were going with, with your, your past partner. Um, but you had to let go of that. And you sort of, there's a process of rewriting the story there uh, so that, you know, things have changed and you're conscious in that process as well. And uh, I think life, you know, the way we come across and everything like that is, is a lot about the story that we are telling ourselves about us and everything else and the, the direction as well, because it can be quite easy just to carry on as you are. Yeah, I, I think that <clears throat> I think that especially for people that are very focused on their on achieving, that they can be very focused on what their mind tells them. And there are more types of wisdom than just, you know, pure intelligence. And I think that it's important for us to tap into other types of intelligence that we have, other types of wisdom and knowledge that we have. And um, as an example, you know, our bodies know a lot. And our bodies, you know, when, when you hear people talk about like, oh, my gut reaction, Studies have shown that your gut literally can process, you know, danger or situations more quickly than your brain can. And so, but so often we override that, right? If, uh, and a lot of times when I'm working with people and, you know, in that beginning phase where I'm saying, well, what's your goal? What do you want? A lot of times they'll say, I don't know. I don't know what I want. I don't know what will make me happy. And I say, well, here's, here's a challenge for you. Like start paying attention to how your body feels when certain things happen. Like, are there situations that you're in that you get that butterfly feeling that you get excited or whenever you see, you know, a certain meeting on your calendar, you're like, oh, yay, you know, I love doing that. Or, you know, notice whenever you have that knot in the pit of your stomach or your palms get sweaty because this is your body telling you, you know, what it really feels, right? And what are, you know, we've been socialized, right? Like our brain has been socialized to deal with things in our lives. It doesn't mean that it's aligned with who we are. I don't think that you can change your gut. 
you know, your gut is very kind of primal and it tells you the truth. And a lot of times when there's conflict, it's because your mind is overriding your gut and we're, and we're being driven by fear by like, you know, I know I don't want to do this. Like, you know, just, I'll use that example with the boyfriend. I didn't know what, you know, I was with this person from, you know, age 20, I was in university to, I'd been working for four or five years afterwards. You know, I, I had moved to two different cities. I, you know, had had a couple different jobs. This was somebody that knew me when I was, you know, young and, you know, he had supported me, even though, you know, it didn't, things didn't work out. There were other issues that, you know, just weren't really, I won't go into a lot of details yeah. there, but it was scary to think about breaking up with him because what would my life be? But yet my gut and my heart were telling me it wasn't right. And I, my mind was what kept me with him for as long as, you know, probably the last year and a half or so, like things just weren't very happy. And my mind kept me there. Right. But it was when I had that time to let what I knew on a more visceral level rise to my level of consciousness, I knew that I had to, you know, take a step into this gray area that was scary. I didn't know what was going to be out there, you know, and I didn't I mean, there were absolutely no guarantees that, you know, oh, if I start dating Scott, that all of a sudden I mean, I had really, I didn't even take him that seriously as a boyfriend <laughs> at the time, because he's actually a lot younger than me. And uh, well, not a lot, he's four years younger than me. And he had, he had done service in the Navy before he went to college. So I was, you know, 27. And he was 23 when we met, and he was a freshman in college. So, you know, I'd been working for five years, and he's just starting his college education. I didn't know what it was going to look like going forward, but I was having fun. And so here we are. <laughs> it's literally been 30 years since I met him. <laughs> well, congratulations. So. That's, that's a good amount of time, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it's great. Yeah. The mind versus body thing is um, something I think I'm going to say logicians is probably not a real word, but people who are uh, into logic, let's say. So let's say engineering mm -hmm. types me my friends you know a lot of them will tend to just do things because they make sense you know uh, continue with the job because it makes sure. sense because it gives gives me the finances will allow me to have financial freedom when i'm whatever age all that kind of stuff should get a house because it makes sense too um because mm -hmm. it's the the right financial thing to do um it's, oh, it's it's such a tricky one because in my head i'm like then there's the things of like guilt versus fear i mean they're, they're not really verses they're sort of similar as well um, where you're thinking, oh, should I do this? And you're like looking for that gut reaction. You kind of go like, nah, but but is that gut reaction just fear instead? Uh, and uh, I suppose it's a really difficult one to get your mind around, isn't it? Uh, do you have any sort of, when you're coaching people on this as well, Do you is there ways yeah. of distinguishing this? Yes, absolutely. So I always say to people that, as much as possible, we should be approaching things in our life from a place of choice. And the reality is that we always are at choice, but yet a lot of times we will do say just what you said, which is, should I do this? I should do this. 
so often, you know, people will come to me and they'll say, you know, like, I know I should do this. They don't want to do that, right? They are not choosing to do that, but they're doing that because, you know, they're, you know, somebody else has walked that path and that's worked out for someone else or, you know, like they're, they're going to avoid criticism if they do that or whatever, but in their heart of hearts, they're not choosing that, you know, like if they could do what they really want, they would not do that. And I think that it's important to make the distinction. And, and especially when you're feeling like, like you have to do something, you feel like you have to do it to really ask, like, is this true? Do you have to? Like, what would you choose to do? You know, what, what do you want to do? You know, because you can choose that. And, you know, sometimes people will say, like, I, I've had plenty of people say, like, I hate my job, but I, you know, but I have to keep, I have to stay in it. And I'm like, you don't have to stay in it. You don't, you don't have to. You could get up tomorrow morning and not go to work ever, ever again, right? Now, I'm not saying there's not going to be consequences, you know, obviously you wouldn't have a paycheck if you didn't get up and go to work. But, you know, sometimes if we can even give ourselves just that small little bit of leeway, like even a little bit of a fantasy about like, I really hate my job. And I'm going to acknowledge the fact that if I, if it gets to be too bad, I don't have to go into work. Right. Because sometimes that can give us enough room to tolerate it until we can come up with what our plan is. But when we feel like we're in a straitjacket and we have to do something, we absolutely have no choice at all. It just drains the energy out of you. And you literally don't, you know, have the energy to come up with a plan B. Yeah. There's a lot around the language that you mentioned before <clears throat> with the should. The should's really important. When people start saying should, you, you, you can sort of ask as well, like, according to who? <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly it's not you know you really i, I just want to always remind people you are always at choice always and you know if you're in a situation that you don't like on some level you've chosen it mm. and believe me i know because i see it a lot in coaching that people will fight you tooth and nail no i really don't have a choice i don't have it i'm like you do have a choice now you might like i said again you might not like the consequences of choosing something different but you know if if you don't like where you are you can do something different to get a different outcome for sure and uh, on, on that i think that's a really good note to start wrapping up on actually and um just before we finish up is there, do you have a message to the audience you'd like to give them and this could be in the form of a, a billboard that is you know presented to the world and it could be based on anything we've talked about today, could be to do with life, could be about work. Uh, is there anything that pops to mind that you might put on a billboard like that? Yeah, I mean, the message that I have is that you deserve to be happy. And we can, you know, based on the choices that we make, we can be happy. And, you know, each person that's here on earth has unique gifts. And I really believe that our mission on earth is to you know, discover what our purpose is and to live that out. And, you know, it's very easy to kind of get caught up in, you know, society's picture or vision or definition of quote unquote success. 
And, you know, each person's real success is going to be, be based on what they uniquely want, what they uniquely feel, um, what they discover to be their purpose here. So, you know, try to try to focus on what it is that makes you happy and not worry too much about what other people think. You deserve to be happy, indeed. Well, thank you yeah. very much for this today. It's been great talking to you, Terry. And just to let people know where they can get in touch with you or find you, uh, you've got your website, which is terrybmcdougal.com. Uh, you've got your LinkedIn as well, which is forward slash your full name, uh, Terry B. McDougal again. Facebook, same. Uh, Instagram, I underscore am underscore coach uh, underscore Terry. And the book, as well as we've talked about earlier on, is Winning the Game of Work. And uh, you can find that online too. And also check out the podcast. Uh, the intro in particular is, is fantastic as well on uh, marketingmambo.net. Uh, and I guess you can find that pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. So uh, once again, thank you very much for your time today, Terry. And uh, uh, thank you for being here. Luke, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for listening to Tipping Points. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe, like, and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast player. Doing this really helps us to keep providing free content to you. If you want to find out more, get more episodes and exclusive content, please head over to tippingpointspodcast.com. If you've got some insights today, like the way I ask questions, and want to take your journey to another level, then Mindful Productivity Coaching is for you. At Mindful Productivity, we take a holistic approach to make you happier, healthier, and more productive. Our coaching program is tailored to your needs so you get what you want from it. Find out more at mindfulproductivity.net forward slash coaching and book your free discovery call today. That's mindfulproductivity.net forward slash coaching for your free discovery call.